0: Hello friends. This is the Tarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org that's neatartsfriends.org let's jump into today's sermon one of the things that distinguishes us as humans from animals is our unique ability to imagine the future we call it planning it's the fabric of life we do it every day like the reason you're listening to this right now at some level is because of planning we're able to use our memories of the past to create a million different possible versions of the future in our mind. We see a life, a world, a story in our mind. We choose the version we want and then we plunge into that future. We try to live in the world that we design inside our mind. Any fans of the musical, The Greatest Showman? I love that film. The, the main character, PT Barnum has this beautiful song that really captures this the way that we look at planning and this designing a world inside our mind he says i close my eyes and i can see the world that's waiting up for me that i call my own through the dark through the door through where no one's been before but it feels like home they can say they can say it all sounds crazy they can say they can say i've lost my mind I don't care. I don't care. So call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. Because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. Oh, a million dreams for the world we're going to make. Now, We all have different dreams. The world that I design inside my head, my dreams, and my plans are probably different than the ones inside your head. But there's a common thread inside of all of our dreams, all of our designs. When we think about the future, like 2023, we all want life to be better. We hope that 2023 can be better than 2022. I know I do. Like in 2023, I want to be happier than I was last year. And I want my family to be happier. And I want my work to feel even more purposeful and fruitful. And our church community and the wider community to feel like it's thriving. And I'd like to lose a few pounds of fat and gain a few more pounds of muscle. And I'd like my schedule to feel like it has enough margin to breathe. And I'd like to read some good important books I'd like my house to be nicer. I'd like to get the trim put up in the laundry room and get the bathroom refinished and some different light fixtures in our house. Or sometimes we talk about just buying a different house. I'd like to take some nice vacations and have more money and not worry so much about expenses and go on some cool hikes and visit my family in Wyoming and Colorado. And it's part of the life that I imagine, I I design inside my mind. So take a moment, if you're, if you're listening or watching with someone, chat with them. Otherwise, just reflect on this. Take a moment and name three or four things you'd like to see happen in 2023. Describe the world that you design inside your mind, the life you imagine, the story you dream of. It might be mundane aspects of life or grandiose plans. So take a moment. There's something so hopeful about looking into the future with anticipation. Things could really be so good. For instance, (laughs) this past year, I dreamed of a kitchen with new countertops and a new backsplash. Something more like this. You see, the old Formica was coming unglued. It was bubbling. And so Molly and I went for it. We tried to live in the world that we designed, and here's how it turned out. But in the process, I chopped off the end of my finger in my own table saw. I'm sparing you the images from the emergency room. So here I am now. I'm living in the world that I designed, but I can't feel the end of my finger which affects my banjo playing, and just affects life. And that's the ugly backside of so many of our attempts to live in a world that we design. This picture is a paradigm for life. Like, you book that incredible trip to Hawaii, and you end up getting sick in paradise. You plan on exercising and losing a few pounds, and you strain a muscle or get a bulging disc. You make plans to remodel or build or buy a new house and then the market changes, the interest rates change and your plans all go belly up and have to change. Or there's this awesome new job that would be just perfect for you and then you find out that your child has a health condition that is going to require more time than the job would allow. Life can change in an instant. Natural disasters, illness, stroke, Heart attacks, cancer, pregnancy, financial collapse. Your house gets robbed. An important relationship falls apart. Your parents unable to care for themselves. You lose a loved one. You lose an ability. A mental health condition crops up. You find yourself in the hospital staring at a massive bill without a job. Life is fragile. It can change in an instant. And the longer I live, the more I realize things don't always turn out the way that I planned. Which brings us to our scripture today. We're continuing through the letter of James, James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money, whoever you might be, it doesn't matter. Because You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead of your saying, which is like, today or tomorrow we're going to do this or that, say this instead, whatever is pleasing to God we will live out, and also do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. Now, for those of us living on the Oregon coast, we're familiar with mist and vapors and fog. We know that a mist or a vapor can hang around all day, can be socked in, or it can completely evaporate and burn off and disappear in an instant before you turn around. And life is like that. It's fragile. It can change in an instant. It's so easy to get caught up in all of our planning and looking to the future that we miss what's happening right now, this instant. We miss what's precious about this moment. We don't recognize the gifts that are in our hands and in our life in this season, this moment. This moment that you have right now is a mist. It's a vapor. Life is fragile. It can change in an instant. There's a country song by Trace Adkins that pairs so nicely with this scripture. You're going to miss this. It goes like this. She was staring out the window of that SUV, complaining, saying, I can't wait to turn 18. She said, I'll make my own money. I'll make my own rules. Mama put the car in park out there in front of the school. She kissed her head and said, I was just like you. You're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. Take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. Before she knows it, she's a brand new bride. In her one-bedroom apartment, and her daddy stops by. He tells her, it's a nice place. She says, it'll do for now. Starts talking about babies and buying a house. Daddy shakes his head and says, baby, just slow down. You're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. So take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. Five years later, there's a plumber working on the water heater. Dog's barking, phone's ringing, one kid's crying, one kid's screaming. She keeps apologizing. He says, I don't bother me. I got two babies of my own. One's 36, one's 23. You're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. These are some good times. So take a good look around. You may not know it now, but you're going to miss this. I love that song. It's no wonder that we live looking towards a future filled with dreams of more and better. Because we live in a world that's organized around private interests and personal choices, from everything we put on our sandwich to our wardrobe choices, to our house decorations, to our mode of transportation, our career Everything is geared around it's my choice, my flavor, my time. I go where I want to go. I do what I want to do. I control my life. New York Times estimates that the average American is exposed to 3,500 ads per day. 3,500 times you're told, hey, you could be strong, sexy, fashionable, productive, respected, athletic, rich, unique, beautiful, desirable, connected, and this product is going to make the difference. And underneath That narrative, there's this more subtle message. It's hey, you're not complete. Your life isn't complete. You're missing out. There are holes in your life that could be filled if you simply had more. It's painting this picture of a better future. We start to dream of a life where we make more money and have new experiences and consume new things. We think we can live in that world that we design. Historian William Leach says, whoever has the power to project a vision of the good life and make it prevail has the most decisive power of all. When you spend all that time looking towards the future, dreaming of that world that you hope to create, what actually happens is you get sucked into the vortex of discontentment. Instead of living with your center of gravity rooted in gratitude for the present moment, What if the vapor of your life somehow vanished right now? What would you miss? So whether it's reflection or if you're watching or listening with someone, discuss with them. On Sunday, we discussed in groups. What is the vapor of your life that you're holding in your hands right now? What is it? this season, this age, this stage, these abilities, these relationships, these challenges, these gifts, what is it that you would really miss if it just suddenly disappeared? Take a moment and reflect. All right, let's return to our text in James. James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Well, who's he talking to? Most people in the ancient world didn't have this ability to do any long-range planning like these people in this verse that James is writing to. It was a world of limited goods subsistence living, only the ruling class, only the elite, the top one or two percent of the population, had the kind of money necessary to not simply live hand to mouth. The majority of all the wealth in the Roman Empire was found in the pockets of the ruling elites. But there was one exception, and that exception was the merchants. Sure, there were some merchants who lived in poverty, but not all of them. James is addressing the merchants. You see, there was a fierce social competition among the rich aristocrats, the ruling elites of the day, to have, they wanted to make the splashiest, most dazzling display of their wealth, of their luxury items. They needed status symbols. So where are they going to get them? Well, that's where the merchants came in. It meant that there was a very small number of merchants about 5% of the population, who stood a chance of becoming very wealthy. If they played their cards right, if the winds blew in their favor. So these merchants, they took on this quite dangerous job. They would travel from foreign city to city, over treacherous roads and high seas. And what they were doing was acquiring and transporting rare luxury items And they'd bring them back to the ruling elites and sell these items for exorbitant prices to these elites who were willing to pay anything for a status symbol. And so these merchants are the people in the ancient world who could say, they're the only ones who can say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. They're the only ones who could afford to say that kind of thing. They were the people who, they had no social status, yet they were able to live between the worlds of the rich elites and the majority of poverty-stricken day-laborers, peasants, unclean, expendables. They had this privileged ability to turn a blind eye to the suffering of the world. True, they might become extremely wealthy in all of that traveling, but the question is, at what cost? And this is the crux of what James is really getting at. In order to be able to make plans for yourself for an entire year and to have enough to purchase and transport goods meant you had quite a bit of money in your pocket. But making those plans also meant living as if you had no relationship to your community, no relationship to the impoverished, needy people struggling to survive all around you. And so James writes earlier in his letter, he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the father means caring for orphans and widows, the most vulnerable in their distress. Jesus says it this way. He says, what's it benefit you if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So James isn't coming right out. And telling these merchants, like, hey guys, you really shouldn't go on that next journey. You should stay here with your community. Help these struggling widows and orphans. He's not doing that. It doesn't work to tell people what to do with their plans. It tends to really bother them. And James doesn't tell them that they cannot do this and that. He doesn't act like he even knows what they should do. Because he doesn't. He simply suggests an additional question that they haven't been asking. He says, instead of your saying, which is, well, we're going to go do this and this, that for the whole year. (coughs) Say this instead. Whatever is pleasing to God, we will live out and also do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. Now, if you're reading along in your Bible, verse 15, some English translations read, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. Uh, Like, as if, well, I guess we're going to do what we're going to do unless God messes up our plans. It's a possible translation, but what does that really tell you? Like, all it does is lead you to tack on a weird cliche saying Anytime you make a plan, you're like, well, Lord willing, and the cricks don't rise. Which is basically like saying, God, look, I'm going to do what I want to do unless you stop me. I'm not sure that that's what James is trying to get us to do. I'm not sure that's what he's pointing towards. James seems to be introducing a very different question into our planning process. He's, it, it's not that we simply imagine a world that we design in our head, James is trying to expand our mind so that we start asking, what kind of a world does God imagine? It's not just what kind of a world do I imagine? It's what kind of a world does God imagine? If I'm created as good and for good to be God's co-worker in goodness, then how's this question going to get inside the nitty-gritty of my daily life plans? Kind of a scary question because it's so open ended. It requires me to become contemplative and slow down and listen to more than advertisers telling me what will make me happy and my own voice telling me what I want. I have to slow down and consider people who might be below me, less fortunate, less able, less connected. I have to slow down and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, my creator. And that's scary. It's brutally scary to listen for that divine whisper potentially pointing you in a different direction. Like what if your creator asks you to take that money that you thought was for one thing and put it towards something completely different? What if your creator has different retirement plans than you? It's easy to wish this text had a little asterisk and it says unless. Like unless you're retired, because once you're retired, you don't have to worry about doing good anymore. You can just go live it up. You've earned it. <laughs> or we could all add our different asterisks to the test text. Like, uh, we don't really want to get involved arms deep in serving others. What if, what if your creator calls you to volunteer somewhere or invest in a relationship or change your schedule? The possibilities are endless. And so in many ways... It's just easier, it feels easier, to not ask. Never listen for the divine whisper. Just look the other way when you encounter suffering. Just make your plans. Just decide what you're going to do and go for it. That's the easier way. And to James, he's not saying that the evil is in our plans. Like, we all have plans to do this and that. And God isn't against us having plans The evil is in the omission of listening to God and to our vulnerable neighbors. It's in acting like I control my life, and it's never stopping and slowing to listen to God. And acting like I'm somehow isolated from the suffering around me, rather than slowing to listen to those who are more vulnerable right around me. And asking, what is the good that I'm called to do right now? That word good in the ancient world was a very hands-on word. To do good meant to take an interest in the welfare of others. It meant to care in active ways, to do something that was beneficial, useful generosity. Uh, Historians would point out that this word doing good actually resulted in things like supplying grain in times of necessity, Or forcing down prices by selling below the asking rate, building public buildings, adorning old buildings, refurbishing theaters, widening roads, constructing public utilities, helping the community in times of upheaval. It was that kind of stuff. We all have a head full of dreams. We all have this picture of the world, our life, the way we would like it to be. And it's been said, yeah, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to help do the dishes. Jesus taught that God takes sins of omission, which is the good that you fail to do, just as seriously as sins of commission, which is doing bad things. And so Jesus depicts the final judgment in Matthew 25 as this this king looking at these people who have failed to do good. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I didn't have any clean water. You did nothing. I was a foreigner. You rejected me. I didn't have adequate shelter and warmth. You left me out in the cold. I was sick and you left me to care for myself. I was in prison. You let me rot. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these. You've done it unto me. All sins of omission. I remember as a kid... I thought that sin, that was like bad things that you do, right? Sins of commission. Well, the longer I live, the more convinced I become that the sins that actually destroy people's lives are rarely sins of commission. The things that actually make a mess of people's lives and cause them to become these kind of empty Gross distortions, empty shells of who they're created to be, are actually sins of omission. They might appear to be sins of commission. They might the, the symptom might look like an action. But I think the true illness underneath is the good that people have failed to do. It's the good they failed to do that's actually eating away at them and causing the distorted thinking causing the illness, the emptiness. They're trying to fill legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. The early church taught something similar, that evil isn't actually a generated something. Evil is a lack of something good. It is a missing of something, a deprivation. So the question comes, what is the good that God is calling you to today, this week, this year, do you sense a divine whisper, a nudge towards someone, something, some way of connecting or caring? Is there this internal push towards something? Something that's not connected to your ego like oh I should, I should. But it's it's a different kind of push and you have to work to ignore it. You may not even understand like, why now, why that action but is there something that you say, I I know way down deep in my guts, that's a holy nudge. That's a nudge towards goodness. Take a moment and listen. What are you sensing? Our final discussion question, if you're with someone, chat about this, or if you're alone, just reflect on this. Share something, something good, that you sense your creator might be nudging you to include in your plans. What changes might this require of you? How does that make you feel? Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from NETARTS Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to netartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.